0: Hi, I'm Heather Bruschetti at the Business Council of New York State. I'm the President and CEO and now I am the host of this podcast called Connect, the Business Council Podcast.
1: The Connect Podcast aims to bring you the most interesting interviews with business leaders and newsmakers from around the state. And now here's the host of
0: Connect, Heather Bruschetti. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Connect Podcast. I am Heather Bruschetti, President and CEO of the Business Council of New York State. Today's guest is Jenna Schrobe, Director of Policy and Special Initiatives at the US Chamber, um, and apparently in charge of a whole lot of issues. Um, but today we're going to just focus on one issue, which is commonly known as the Great Resignation. Um, The Great Resignation, which is also referred to as the big quit, began in early 2021. Uh, It's made up, it's a national movement. I don't know that it's an organized movement, but it's made up of employees voluntarily resigning from their jobs. Um, And it really kind of started as some federal and state governments um, were perhaps not providing enough protection against COVID, people felt unsafe at work um and a variety of other reasons which we're going to talk about but in october of 2021 um we experienced the single highest month of voluntary resignation with over four million americans quitting their jobs uh and some called it striketober um so with that as sort of background jenna i want to first say thank you for for being here really appreciate it um and, uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and then let's dive right into uh, the great resignation.
1: Thank you, uh, Honor to be here. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a director of policy and special initiatives at the chamber. And with that, I oversee a lot of our different programmatic work and um, different thematic work, including the America Works Initiative, which we launched last year. Um, in June to to try and alleviate some of the workforce issues that our members were facing. and and yes, as you noted, the great resignation um, has been a significant threat to recovery. Um, and it's the historic rate and exodus of workers has created hiring challenges for companies and left millions of jobs unfilled. Um, you mentioned October's rates, but uh, actually November's rates were even, Higher than October's rates with a record 4.5 million quits at by the end of November, um, and that uh, puts us at
0: recent data having 38 million workers having quit their jobs in 2021. Wow. Um, so, what would be like a normal number monthly or annual? Do you have any sense of that?
1: Um, I don't, but t- definitely significantly less than.
0: That. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, a lot. I mean. 38 yeah. million people in a year, that sounds like 10% of the workforce, more than 10% of the workforce, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, over 2 million fewer workers in the labor force than in February 2020. So that gives you kind of a perspective as
0: as far as
1: the the loss that we're seeing from the pandemic.
0: Wow. So that's, that's an awful lot. Now, I, I know there's been podcasts and surveys and other things, um, a lot of folks have been talking about this. And just what's your, your view or what does information sort of show as the reason that people are quitting their jobs?
1: So there are a number of factors that are at play here. Some include pandemic concerns. Folks are still Um, weary of going back to work because of fears of getting sick or caring for sick uh, family members. Uh, Companies are still suffering from recovering their 2020 layoffs. Uh, The generous government benefits we saw last year had a play in that. It it enabled um, folks to to see an increase in their savings like they haven't had before, so they have a little bit more flexibility instead of returning to work right away. Um, And then wages are going up, although real wages are declining because of Uh, inflation. But the major shift we saw here was really in people's priorities. The pandemic has had a significant impact um, on employees' personal values and what they value in a job or career. So in 2020, we saw job satisfaction plummet um, and employees are experiencing high rates of burnout, mental health issues, prompting them to question work's overall meaning in their lives. Um, a recent Pew study showed a 7% drop in job occupation or career as a source of meaning in people's lives. So workers are looking for more life, work-life balance, flexibility, um, and meaning in their work.
0: And yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I think um, it's interesting. Uh, the sectors that were closed are aligned with the sectors that are having the hardest time getting people to come back. Is that, is that a fair, I, I hate to be overbroad, but hospitality and rest, you know, restaurants. Right. Uh, and, and, um, you know, those often are place, first you have to do those in person, right? You can't work from home in a restaurant for the most part. I mean, maybe if you're the bookkeeper or the accountant or something, but. Exactly, uh,
1: exactly. A lot of those face-to-face type industries were the most impacted um, during the closures. And during that time, either folks reevaluated what they wanted out of life. Some used that time to upskill or reskill and look for new jobs. Um, And then some just had to look for new jobs that um, were remote and remote jobs tend to be in the higher paid, more white collar um, types of industries. So yes, that's definitely a significant part of that shift.
0: Yeah, and I mean, some of these folks might've decided to start their own business. Do we have any sort of indication of what new business starts look like or uh, is that something to be looked at down the road?
1: Oh, we certainly do. And we we looked into this early this year because... Um, We noted a a significant increase in business applications from 2019 to 2020. There was 24% increase following a 40-year decline in US entrepreneurship, so that was significant, telling us that employees were leaving to turn their hobbies into businesses or try to turn their hobbies into businesses. So we know that the start of the pandemic, um, since the start of the pandemic, 8 million business applications have been submitted. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And um, a lot of those were, most of those were in non-store retailers. So you're thinking, you know, online stores, Etsy sellers, et cetera, and then followed closely by professional services, like personal consultants, virtual fitness instructors, um, those types of things. So yeah, there was a significant increase.
0: um, Yeah, I will say, so I spent part of the the work from home stage, which in New York, we had a mandatory work from home for everybody for a period of time, um, learning how to actually make homemade French croissants. And um, <laughs> I will say that the quality of them is not something I would ever be able to make a living at. They're much, much harder to make than um, than I expected. Um, they're, they're very finicky and they take a long time like it's three days to make a croissant. So,
1: um, say, that's uh, way more ambitions than sourdough. Um so I oh yeah.
0: No, I don't like <laughs> sourdough. So I know that was a thing. And it and it was a thing that made it really hard to find yeast for a while. But um oh, yeah. but anyways, that's but it's it's sort of exciting the idea that there's been this sort of upsurge in entrepreneurship. And um, I'm guessing that um people imagine that it would be better to work for themselves. Do we I mean, do we think that we're gonna see a high failure rate or, I mean, I can all hope that these are (laughs) all businesses, right? But
1: Well, we can certainly hope. Um, We know from BLS data that around 22% of startup businesses fail their first year, less than 50% survive five years and only a third make it past 10 years. So um, predictably about 1.6 million of those uh, 8 million businesses could succeed, But of course, we hope for more I don't know that the pandemic has changed that um, significantly just because the factors at play there are, you know, capital or are, um, are things that the pandemic ne- hasn't necessarily
0: uh, helped or hindered. Yeah, I would, I would imagine I mean I know from other us chamber presentations. Uh, um, are, uh, Curtis Dubay did a an economic presentation recently and showed that um, savings rates are actually at sort of all time highs or were in 2021, um, which maybe gave people the sort of the um, the comfort that they could take a stab at starting their own business and not and not remain with you know their or go back to the work that they were doing pre pandemic, um, but I just wonder if we're going to see at some point, an increase in um, unemployment rates, rates go up as, you know, a surge of people look to return to the workforce or or not? I, any any sense of that? So um, you, you noted
1: the, the saving explosion, which I want to touch upon real quick, too. Total savings was about $4.8 trillion, yes, trillion dollars, since March 2020. And um, government incentives had a lot to do with that. And actually, in our most recent COVID unemployed poll: almost half said that they've been using pandemic incentives or stimulus payments or tapping into savings to get by, so they haven't felt the need to rush back to work. Um, as far as whether we'll see that continue to affect the the level of unemployment, I, I don't I don't have a crystal ball, but I would speculate that as those dwindle, folks will start feeling the urgency to get back to work, and we can already see that. Um, unemployment level, national unemployment levels are are almost near pre-pandemic levels now. So February, 2020, we had a 3.5% unemployment rate. Um, And this last December, it was 3.9. So um, I think think folks, um, it it won't stay elevated, but I think we've seen an increase in labor force exit um, due to the pandemic. So that includes early retirees, that includes um, folks who have children at home and can't or have to care for for somebody, um, just leaving the workforce in general, and hopefully that trend will not not keep.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you know we we spent a lot of time talking about childcare being a factor, and um, you know New York lost over three hundred thousand people. Um, in the last year. Now some of it is because you could work remotely and, and you know why not if you can work from Puerto Rico <laughs> for example right. and, and do your job. I mean why I guess why wouldn't you if, if you think of it as sort of a temporary thing um, but what the number that our politicians are, are citing as the reason why people left is because of lack of access to childcare and my perception is that that is a problem nationally, so I don't think it would necessarily be better somewhere else. But I do, you, I'm, and I know I'm, I'm throwing you a left field uh, curveball here, but I know you've got some expertise in this area too.
1: Yeah, childcare is is a ubiquitous issue. It's not not just New York, and it's it's been one of the primary reasons we've seen labor force exit, or we why we've seen um, the pandemic. Uh, disproportionately impact women because they have children at home. They're trying to do remote schooling, or they just don't have um, good options that are open for for childcare in general. So it's it's actually a part of our American Works um, advocacy agenda to help try and expand opportunities for childcare, um, including state level spending of ARPA funds, et cetera, um, to to make that available to to parents and working, working adults.
0: So do you have, you have data um, that is specific to New York State on the quit rate or, or unemployment or any of those?
1: So I, I, I do. Um, the last I've seen is about 1.6 million New Yorkers quit their jobs last year, and which is actually interesting that it's the lowest rate in the U.S especially when you get given New York's job losses were way steeper initially um, and recovery has lagged compared to everywhere else in the United States. Um, As of September, New York's state um, state's 8.9% job loss representing almost 900,000 jobs was nearly three times as great as the national job decline. Um, And that job deficits far exceeds every other state. So, um, and that's even more, um, you can see that even more in New York's metro areas. Do you have
0: any theory as to why that is? I mean, I know we have a lot of um, sort of travel, tourism, hospitality related jobs, and some of those businesses just never reopened because they were closed, but. Exactly. Everything I've read has
1: has been to that effect that there's a lot of face-to-face business in New York, especially in the metro areas, New York City in particular. Um, A lot of it is entertainment-based, tourism-based, travel-based, so a lot of those things really were impacted by the shutdown and the pandemic, and so that would be my guess as to why. I don't think there's anything out there that says definitively, but um,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because we've got a new mayor in New York City, Mayor (laughs) Adams, who's just, and I think correctly so, really trying to get um, those employers that have had people work remotely, as we saw the um, you know, Omicron variant kind of spread like wildfire, you know, the, the return to the office has been very slow. And I think he's right, you know, when you get people back in those offices, all the ancillary businesses, the retail, the um, restaurant business, and even, even probably um, Broadway and, and uh, entertainment um, we'll we'll come back somewhat, but it seems like a a very slow process so far. And let's just all hope that we don't see any more variants. Exactly.
1: I can say it's been exacerbated by the uptick of variants and then the, you know, reshutting down and reopening.
0: Do you think, and before the pandemic, we had a serious, serious problem with the skills gap where Mm -hmm. we had, you know, relatively high paying jobs um, that didn't necessarily require a four-year degree, but maybe an associate's degree or certificate. Um, we had a huge number of vacancies. Do you do you anticipate that this you know great resignation would offer opportunities for people who want to work to get better or higher paying jobs, um, maybe, you know, upskill or get some higher level of education?
1: Certainly, um, I think that's the case. And as I mentioned earlier, we saw in one of our unemployed polls that some folks were using that time to um, either advance education or try and upskill themselves in some way to be able to get some of those jobs. Um, but I think what is not just the get jobs gap, there's a huge skills gap. So the folks who we're losing the face-to-face jobs. Were the ones who weren't quite qualified for the job openings that we're seeing now, um, and that, thats really the actually the the focus of the worker shortage is is not so much not as much the quit rate as it is the sheer number of job openings we have compared to the number of people in the workforce. Period um, to date, and so part of what we're hope, we're doing through the America Works initiative is working with businesses and chambers and, uh, and others to try and figure out the best ways to retool um, and reskill the, the workforce. And that includes some employer-led solutions, um, programmatic works in communities and, and with states. Um, our foundation has done some amazing work around talent pipeline um, and those types of things. And we're, that's a huge focus. Um, of, of ours and advocacy and, and finding dollars to do that. Yeah. Um, and and um, encouraging companies to rethink how, how they're skilling and how they're approaching education for their workforce.
0: Yeah, so you've got two kind of different groups of employers. You've got the hospitality and, and restaurant um, industry that is just dying to find employees. And we've all, I think, hopefully everyone's had a chance to go out to dinner. <laughs> but you know since <laughs> 2020 um, and you, you know there's there's two things there's very challenging service situations and I feel bad for the people I, I worked as a, a waitress myself and when you're when you're understaffed you're, you know everything runs late you're stressed out and it's hard so those work environments are even more challenging at the same time that the businesses are struggling to fill the positions and then at the other end of the spectrum you've got these sort of higher skilled jobs that are struggling to find people who will work there. Um, and some of those jobs also have the benefit of being more attractive because they have more flexible hours or you can do them from home, which something I think a lot of people have realized is, is, can be fun. There it's not fun for everyone. It's not fun. If you have like five small kids at home (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, or roommates, a lot of roommates who are rowdy, but, um, but I think that's one of the things a lot of people are looking for now is a lot more flexibility in their schedule. And that's hard to offer in sort of a restaurant or hospitality environment, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Those sort of a speech, but, but, <laughs> but, but it's, it's I had this um, conversation with a, a, a member of Congress several years ago, but pre-pandemic, where we had a mini debate over whether or not automation was going to be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, And my argument was that automation will be good because of the demographics of the American population, because you have this big blob of people, the baby boomers. And then you've got sort of Gen X, which is my group, you know, we're depressed, we like Pearl Jam, and we're, (laughs) we're not like team workers, but it's a very, very small working population. And then you've got Behind us, the millennials. And the millennials are, you know, they've been told that they're special since the day they were born. They all want to be at the CEO. Um, but it's still a smaller group than the baby boomers who delayed retirement for a bit um, because of the Great Recession. But now we're like, we're done. You know, 401k is back in good shape. Now is the time.
1: So my argument
0: was demographically, we need automation if we want to keep GDP going because we don't have enough people. Um, and you know, so back in, and, and his point was, but those are entry-level jobs. The ones that are going to be automated will be the entry-level jobs. And so people won't have the opportunity, more people won't have the opportunity to enter the workforce. Um, so it sounds like to me, the solution is workforce development is upskilling, is focusing our efforts on getting the people who were working in hospitality who don't want to anymore the skills to get into where there's still a lot of open positions in these sort of middle skills jobs. Um, so what say you about that?
1: <laughs> well, I, I would say there is definitely an opportunity in automation as you identified. Some other things that we at the Chamber are looking at too is, How do we remove barriers for for folks who want to be in the workforce but can't for some reason? So looking at opportunity populations like second chance hiring. How do we get, um, you know, make it easier for convicts or post um, incarcerated individuals to be able to re-enter the workforce? Um, How do we promote veteran hiring and getting getting folks um, more easily integrated into the workforce once they're out of military service? Um, Looking at how do we hold on to those some of those retirees who just might not want to work a full time job, but but are still um, able and willing to do something with a flexible or a very, you know, non routine schedule. Um, And how do we look at getting folks with disabilities making work environments that they can be a part of um, and and contribute to and then also, um, how do we welcome and attract global talent through immigration reform. Um, and increasing visa cap, gaps or caps because you know there are you're right our our demographics are are dwindling but something we've always done well is attracted the the brightest and best from throughout the world and how do we continue to do that and have the policies in place to to um, keep that competitive advantage or and, and be able to you know use other
0: <laughs> global yeah. population i mean you just touched on a whole number of issues that are sort of Near and dear to my heart. You know, if you're an employer and you're, you're desperately looking for workers, um, I, I, we, we are, are seriously looking at um, some second chance hiring programs and obviously um, veterans. Um, I think the data shows that veterans and people, maybe counterintuitively, but people who have been released from prison or, or, or basically post conviction. Um, actually there's a few study that shows that they are, um, in some respects, longer, um, tenured workers and better (laughs) workers. I think in part motivated because they, you know, there there's expectations if you're on probation or parole that you maintain employment. And, but, you know, these are opportunities that historically employers haven't looked at. And certainly the disabled population has a very, very high unemployment rate, um, and, and and unnecessarily so. Um, being disabled doesn't mean you don't have a, a very valuable set of skills that that could be uh, useful with some accommodation. So um, those are all you know. Those are all groups of po- or populations where you have relatively high unemployment that employers ought to look to. Um, and I'll um, I'll make sure. I think the the Pew uh, Data, um, we can get that up on our website if people are interested in it. Because it was really fascinating to me that um, really a dramatic difference um, in, in ratings for non post incarcerated individuals versus post incarcerated individuals. The people who had, and, and I think post conviction, to be fair, um, people who had, you know, a parole, probation, or post conviction situation ended up being better employees than the general population. Um, and I'm, I'm a former public defender, so I, I, I'm a big believer that no one should be defined by, you know, a single mistake, um, and, and be denied opportunity. So, exactly. And
1: I'm happy to send your way too, for, for folks who are listening. Um, our foundation has done a really great case study on second chance hiring and, and, and kind of, um, illustrating some of those uh, opportunities and how companies are working with those populations. Um, and then we also, um, as a part of our America Works initiative and in conjunction with our Quality of Opportunity initiative, put out a paper last year on the business case for second chance hiring um, and some of the policy um, or, or best practices that could be put in, into place to be able to, to help that along. So I'll send those away as well.
0: I would, I would love to get that up on our website too, for folks who are interested because it is, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of hesitation and, um, maybe unnecessarily so. Um, Definitely.
1: Agreed.
0: So the big, great resignation, we've solved it. I think we've (laughs) figured out, (laughs) um, but interesting. I mean, it's just a really interesting, unanticipated, uh, sort of pandemic effect that, Um, may have accelerated a lot of things. And I I personally, I think we're gonna see dramatic changes in people's expectations about flexibility in hours, work from home, Um, you know, I'd like to advocate for a four day work week myself, but um, I, I, you know, so.
1: (laughs) That's very popular among my friends right now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, hey, a one day work week would be even better, but I don't think we'd get enough done. We'll see our productivity go way down, right? Right, exactly. Well, yeah, Jenna, you're, you're
1: right. I think we'll, we'll see a lot of changes in the year to come, um, not just driven by the pandemic, but by our demography in general. Um, and there's no one, one size fits all answer. So looking forward to working with
0: you guys and,
1: and others on, on trying to alleviate this workforce shortage.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Jenna Shro from the United States Chamber of Commerce. Uh, very great. strong advocate for employers um, and, you know, really taking the lead on, on uh, business issues and economic issues in the country. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you.